This podcast contains swear words. Hello and welcome to Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, a podcast about art making, creativity, not giving up, and living well in the process. Process? Process. And although I'm coming from the perspective of a performing artist, the themes and issues discussed here apply to all of us, whether you consider yourself an artist or not. Life is a creative act. I'm your host, Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, a choreographer, actor, dancer, writer, and educator living on the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish people on the west coast of Canada. So here we are. This is our first podcast of the new year, 2021. And I know a lot of people are just like, oh, thank God we're over 2020. It doesn't feel a hell of a lot different to me, I got to tell you. It's a little bit samey, samey. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And um, if you're listening to this in the future, which you probably are, because you can't be listening to it right now because I'm recording it right now. Oh, time-space continuum. I'm sure things are better. They have to be better. So before I jump into everything, I just want to please remind you to, you know what I'm going to say, rate, review, like us, share us. It really does make a difference and makes it easier for people to find this podcast and hear about all these amazing artists doing amazing things and get some inspiration because we could all really use some inspiration. And if you have the means to donate, it really does make a difference, small or large. The link to donate is in the show notes, or you can go to terrashyan.com, upper right-hand corner, and click donate. It'll take you right there. And now a segment I like to call Notes from the Studio where I talk about my process or my process of art making. And as I enter 2021, I'm thinking about something that has been on my mind for a few years now. My partner, composer, and podcast producer, editor, Mark Stewart, said to me a number of years ago when I was humming and hawing over job offers and projects that I wanted to do and ones that I wasn't sure And he said to me, well, which ones will change the world? Oh, that's very good. Which ones will change the world? It took some thought because some on the surface, like that's not really going to change the world, but maybe these ones over here where I'm working with people who are activists or the subject matter is quite subversive and could change some minds. So that has been kind of like one of the things I ask myself when I accept work or make work or conceive of a project. So I think that is something to hold in 2021. I also wanted to share this fantastic quotation from Tony Cade Bambara. And the quotation is this, the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Mm. Write that one down somewhere because I think that really is the nugget. And I think that when we imagine revolution, 
or when we are in revolution, it can be very small and the very small can lead to the very, very big. And witnessing the very big can create the micro shifts that lead to great personal change and great political change. And don't we need that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so my interview with Lisa Jelly, who is the co-artistic director of Company 605 here on the West Coast. She is an incredible artist, mother of two, partner, educator, changer of many things that need to be changed, and just one of the most thoughtful people that I know. And I was so happy that Lisa took the time, which is hard to come by with two small children at home. I have one and I'm like barely able to function. How she does it with two, I don't know, but she does it with grace and beauty and artistic inspiration. So pardon the sound quality. We can't be in the same room. So we're doing all of this over Zoom But I think you will hear some wonderful ideas and some thoughts to carry us into this new year. We talk about living in small spaces with kids, walking as a practice, and so many other things. Here I am with the Lisa Jelly. What's your full name that you're going by these days? (laughs) Well, my full name is Lisa Mariko Jelly. Well, Jelly is actually my, my maiden name as they say. Oh, yes. Lisa Mariko Martin is my legal name. Ah. But in the context of my profession, I'm going by Lisa Jelly or Lisa Mariko Jelly. Lisa Mariko Jelly. Nice. Names are so interesting. I've had so many different iterations of my my three names. Um, I tried to have a truncated and then I just, I i don't know, I just was so attached to all three of them. <laughs> Movability of one's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I would just love to talk to you about how you are either like being successful at being creative or not successful over these last super weird months and what it has been like for you to be an artist and the mother of two small people and the co-director of a company that's still doing lots and lots of things in these weird times. Mm-hmm. Where to start? Yeah, where to start? Well, basically, everything that we had planned as a company and as, I guess, my freelance work, that has all shifted or disappeared um, over the last few months, which is not so different than I think a lot of people's um, current scenarios. However, we've sort of been trying to be responsive to what sort of makes sense right now in terms of what we're pursuing and um, how we're pursuing those things. In addition, of course, um, sort of right before the pandemic started, I had a new, a new baby. So I was about to make the shift from having partially figured out how to be a working artist mother of one child who, you know, toured around with us, you know, from the time she was four months old, she was in the studio with us at two weeks old. So I sort of had integrated the family working life in a way that, you know, was somewhat 
functioning, I would say, up until that point. And then we had our second baby and it was sort of about to, we were about to figure out how we were going to do it with two. So I was almost quietly relieved when things started getting canceled. (laughs) And not in the sense that, you know, I wanted to do all of the things that were planned. I wanted to do all of this work and I felt it was really important, but I was also, you know, really overwhelmed with this new reality of taking my two children on the road, as it were. So basically, right when the pandemic was announced, we were en route to Banff. We were literally like in Alberta, visiting Josh's family before heading to the Banff Center. We were going to meet our dancers there and do a residency, which we were all super excited about. I had at the time a three-year-old and then Noemi was four months and my mom was going to come and meet us there. And I was going to pretend to work for two weeks. Um, with everybody. Oh, that sounds good. (laughs) And, you know, I was excited, but I was also a little bit terrified to go back into the studio at um, that point, postpartum. So that didn't happen. That was the first thing that didn't happen, which was a little bit of a relief for me personally. Um, Instead, we ended up coming home and asking all of our collaborators, um, the dancers, to do some individual remote sort of thinking around the work that we were doing at the time and just kind of have like a bit of a personal playtime brainstorm around those ideas. And then from there, yeah, we had some international stuff canceled, which again, I was a little bit relieved that um, in the sense that it felt like it was going to be impossible to bring a baby and a preschooler to Germany for, you know, a month. But yeah, like, so looking back, I actually somewhat appreciated the ability to delay uh, some of these things that were happening because it feels like it's not possible. It really takes a large crisis, like a pandemic, feel like permission to say to not do things. And no, we didn't have the choice. They were canceled, but it was too hard to say, you know, I'm going to have a young baby. Let's postpone this. And this felt like a really good reason to, (laughs) well, not a reason. It was, you know, it was necessary to postpone. So that I lucked out in that sense. And I'm hoping that all of these things are still going to happen, you know, in the coming seasons so that we're not totally erasing what we had worked towards, but that it's just more of a a delay. And hopefully, you know, I'll have a little bit more of a sense of how to work <laughs> in these new, with these two children next year or whatever. Or maybe I won't, maybe I'll still have no idea how to do it. And the only way to figure it out is to actually do it. And then, and then I'll start to figure it out. It's so true. It's so true. Hey, Mm -hmm. here's my question. You know, you hear this that two children is not double, it's 10 times. The did you feel that like just logistics and work of two is a completely different thing than one? For me, I do feel like it's way more than double. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like two beings with radically different needs, but big needs right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in our household, work and home life is intertwined. So not only do we have like more than double the work to take care of these two children, but it feels like the air is really thick that we can hardly get through to talking to one another sometimes about these work things in between the needs of the kids. And so that's been a really big shift too, is um, how to figure out, you know, our personal relationship, Josh and I, our working relationship, which sort of weaves very seamlessly, typically, but it's hard to even have like conversations now over two, over two voices, two more voices. Yes. I mean, we have one child who's nine, so different kind of challenges. 
I mean, Mark and I are not like Josh and you are, you know, like your co-directors. So, but we find it so difficult. We're, we're getting better at like half a sentence, <laughs> blah, 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 Lego, blah, 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 blah. Where was I? Oh yeah. And do you guys have like, just as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, you need flags mm-hmm. to hold up. I'm holding up the orange flag, which means we're having a work discussion. <laughs> I'm holding up the blue flag, which means we're talking about the kids. I'm holding up a... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're trying to take advantage of Laura's Montessori uh, schooling. And when they're told that when they want to talk to one of the guides, that they should tap on their shoulder and wait until the guide says yes. We're like, can you do that Montessori thing at home? Because that would really help us out. Oh man, Jasper went to Montessori as well. And when we'd go and see what they were doing, we were like, this is fantastic. And we would be grilling the teachers, like, how do you do it? How do you do it? And we, we never really were able to get him to do things at home, except for the pouring. He was very good at pouring and, and cleaning the table. But the hand on the shoulder to wait to talk, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Does Loa do that at home ever? She has a few times once we reminded her of how that could work in the home, in the home context. <laughs> totally, right? So you and Josh are co-directors. So you've been doing that for a long time together. Have you found like a way that you collaborate that really works or is it like a fluid thing? Can you just talk about how you two have figured that out or not figured it out? Yeah, I think ultimately, well, we've been collaborating for a really long time now since, you know, probably 2005 or six. And I think it changes very much depending on the time or what we're working on. But ultimately, I think the reason why it works in a creative sense, like say we're making something like a dance, is I think our priorities are a little bit different and we've learned with each other's um, what we really care about separately and together. So I think that is something that really works for us. We have, I think we have similar values. Sometimes we go at things sort of differently, but ultimately like we're not always... um, we're willing to let go of different things and we're willing to fight for different things. So I think that's kind of like what has enabled us to last this long. Cause it really is remarkable. Mm-hmm. I think we're getting better at it too. Yeah. I think we are getting better at collaborating all the time. <laughs> yeah. And so you also do projects on your own. Do you find a big difference in how you work on your own? Obviously, there would be a difference. But how is that for you? How do you negotiate those two parts of yourself as a creator? I mean, Josh does a lot of solo work, making solos for himself and, of course, collaborates with other people. And I think that that practice is very different for him. For me, anything that I do independently of him typically is a collaboration of some sort as well with somebody else. Um, And it's nice to... It's nice to kind of bring with me everything that, for lack of a better word, that we've developed together, like my practice that I've developed with him. I can sort of bring that to my work that I do separate from him. But it tends to be that I'm always I'm always collaborating with somebody. And right now, I actually feel like it works well for the reasons that I mentioned before, like in the house, in our family creation, it's really hard for us to work right now together. But if we are kind of doing our separate things, there's somehow this space that appears. Hmm. And so that's kind of been working for the last little while. Also as something nice where we can both sort of take a breath from having these children in between us and be able to dedicate sort of some space to those um, things that we do separate from one another. And I mean, we always have a lot of conversations about the work that we're working on, not with each other. So I feel like 
you know, there's always support there and there's a consultation process or just like a brainstorming that inevitably will happen. And um, you have like a few projects that are kind of on the go or in some form or another right now. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about some of the stuff that you're excited about mm-hmm. that you're making or thinking about making? Or Yeah. So together with Company 605, even before the pandemic started, we were working on some film stuff. And so we kind of did the first phase of a bigger project in the summer. And if it all goes well, and it might be approved for a second phase. And so it would be really exciting to work on this project. I'm not sure how much I can really say about it, but it could be a film project for the CBC. And it was kind of a nice moment because we were working on a stage work around sort of similar themes, like everything kind of informs the other. So we were able to sort of target our research specifically towards um, the stuff that was going to work really well for, for a film sort of version of this, of these ideas. So it's been nice to have that because we've kind of let go of the next stage piece because it doesn't feel like it makes a lot of sense for us to plan something where we don't know when and where and how it's going to land. And so that's been really, really exciting to sort of be thinking about that. And now the phase one is done, as I said, so we're just kind of waiting to see if we get chosen to actually make phase two. We kind of made a pilot and then if it gets selected, then we'll get to do the real thing. So that's really exciting. Um, And then individually, my outside work, I have I have a project that I've been working on with Cindy Mochizuki called Autumn Strawberry. And it's, again, one of those things that's been delayed, but I'm really excited to work on that with her. It's supposed to be resurfacing um, at the Surrey Art Gallery, probably in summer of 2021. And I really enjoy working with Cindy because um, she works in different forms than I do. She sort of gets me to do some movement creation within her work as um, a visual artist. I'm not sure if she wants to be called a visual artist, but um, so it's always really exciting because for me, the ideas come so differently and they're really exciting because they're not sort of targeted in the same way that we're working all the time necessarily in the studio. There's a lot more information to play with. And I don't know, I just, I find it really exciting to work with her on her um, projects. Um, And then I'm doing some research on my own. Well, it's actually a collaboration with my grandmother who is 91 years old. And uh, so I got a research grant to figure out how to make something with her. And I've been wanting to do that for a really long time. I finally got some funding for it. And now it's a time where, you know, hanging out with the elderly isn't really the safest thing. So you can't be together. Aww. Right. But I have been thinking a lot about the work and we had started a little bit before I made the application. So I've got a lot of ideas brewing when it's safe for us to be together or when it's warm enough for us to work a little bit outside. So yeah, I'm excited about that too. Oh, those all sound really, really exciting. I hope you get the CBC money. (laughs) Me too. So hard to be, oh, that limbo town, right? Yeah. It's nice to have things that sound very different from one another. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives you a inspirational energies, right? Totally. Can you talk about um, just how you have kind of negotiated this film thing? I mean, I'm finding, and I think probably a lot of listeners who work in performance and we've, you know, done the pivot. I, the word is driving me crazy because I feel like I'm writing the word a million times every grant application mm-hmm. that's titled pivot into film. And do you think differently 
and choreographed differently in the film medium? Have you noticed anything or? Yeah, Company 605 has been interested in and worked on some small film projects in the past. So we had always had the intention to dedicate more time and resources to making dance films. And it's a specific practice, very different from making for the stage and requires, you know, a bunch of different skills that we're still gaining, I would say. Um, we've done a lot of a collaboration with Ryan Johnson. And so, yeah, I would say that it's really hard to pivot, as you say, a work for film, but there's always kind of certain things that come up for us in creation. Say we're making a stage work that we feel like would be really suited to a film, a dance film. Like we had a goal a long time ago that sort of fell away that we would make a dance film that sort of corresponded with every stage work. Um, we liked the way that our first film reached a really broad audience. It was called Inheritor Recordings. That was our first like major dance film, I would say. And it was uh, based off one of the sections, I suppose, of our stage work Inheritor album. And so that process was really nice to figure out like what exactly lives in this work that, you know, belongs on screen specifically. What can we not do on the stage and what can we use, you know, all of the different components and the magic sort of a film or a video and how can we make that enhance our ideas so we've been wanting to do this more and this is just sort of this moment is allowing us to invest in this way that um, you know it's making the space and sort of forcing us to go into that and try to figure out how we can do it better because it feels it feels beneficial like not only for now but to get the work out there, to make it be seen in different contexts and by people that wouldn't otherwise, you know, come to see one of our pieces. So in our sort of, our newer, I guess, our work in creation that we're doing now, as I mentioned, we, there were components of it that really made sense for video. So we kind of sort of focused on those things so that we could figure out, you know, what is the, what are the ideas that we're working with already that only lend themselves to being on film as opposed to kind of taking a stage piece and making it fit into a context that wasn't necessarily what it was designed for. Like we all have the ability to do it, but for us, we're hesitant to sort of put anything and everything on the screen because some things are just better live. Some things just make sense, you know, live and that's sort of what the experience should be about. And then there's other things that really only make sense on screen. So we're just trying to figure out what the priorities are and how to work on those things right now. I think that's so smart. And it's such an important thing as those of us in performance think about how we're going to present. It's like, well, what has to be live and what has to be on film or benefits from, like you say, the magic of the medium instead of shoehorning the stage piece into a video and then feeling so unsatisfied, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. is there anything about performance that you're just like, you cannot wait to get back to either making or performing? Is that burning anywhere or, or is it nice to have a break? I don't know. I would love to perform like soon. I'd love to do that. I mean, I was off, I've been off performing for a little bit because really the last time I performed was March, 2019, I think in um, Hong Kong with Justine Chambers, her work at the Hong Kong Arts Festival. Right, which was family dinner. Family dinner. So we performed that in March, and then I basically got pregnant after that. I'm not like a big fan of performing pregnant. Personally, it doesn't work really well for me. So I haven't performed since then. 
So what does that even mean? It's been about 18 months. Wow. So I, yeah, I do miss it myself. I don't know. It's really nice when performing kind of enables everything to fall away. Ah. And just to be focused on that moment. We were talking earlier um, at the debrief from the winter intensive about this. Before I had kids, how performing was, um, it had to be all of these certain circumstances for me to be like my best version of myself so I could do my performance and feel really good about it. And then I realized after I had a child that I actually didn't need many of those things to be prepared and that I'd like a little more than I, I have, (laughs) but getting, getting to that place where you're performing and putting yourself in that headspace and that body, it's really nice because everything has to fall away and you just have to focus on what you're doing and who you're doing it with and for. And I sort of miss that feeling that urgency where you just focus on that one thing and be present. And then at the end of the performance, all reality comes flooding back. But yeah, I miss that. Yeah. And you go down to the dressing room and there's your children (laughs) screaming, screaming, complaining about something. You're like, what are you doing? I just did a wicked show. Come on. Yeah. I need applause. I miss that. Yeah. I miss that world. It's like its own kind of world. It feels sort of like we're missing traveling to certain places. I feel like I miss traveling to performance land. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I miss that focus. I'm trying to, like so many people, meditate now. (laughs) You know, the pandemic meditator. I've tried many times in my life, but then I just go, ah, fuck it. But it is, I feel like, well, that's performing, you know, tunnel vision, laser focus, and how invigorating and also stabilizing that is. And not having it, especially in a small space with a family is like, oh, imagine. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to conjure that feeling even for filming something. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Like it's not the same. It's not the same. I'm just ramping up, trying to get myself ready. Actually, I'm not. I'm not getting ready. I'm just going to pull it out of my butt um, <laughs> to film my new solo and trying to figure out like, well, how am I going to get in that state? Mm-hmm. Because I'm so reliant on, and I love the audience, whether it's one person or many Mm-hmm. Do you have any tricks for how you do that for film? Well, I mean, I'm not a super experienced film movie star performer. No, no <laughs> I'm not. I don't have a secret movie star life. Uh, it's just different. There is that different kind of pressure or urgency that arrives because you know that whatever is being captured is going to exist forever. Yes. <laughs> Whereas when you're you know, performing live, it's going to disappear in some way as soon as it's finished. As soon as it's arrived, it's kind of gone. So I think there's that sort of thing that you bring attention to that changes your state of mind or your, your body. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the exciting thing about it is like everything I do is um, forever. No pressure. Yeah. It's like fantastic and, and totally terrifying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Isn't it? Yeah. It's just sort of you in that space versus, or you and a bunch of equipment and then the people that are operating the equipment. Yes. Which I'm always frustrated. And they're looking for different things. They're totally looking for different things. So they're not going like, well, that was amazing. Your performance was amazing. They're going, well, we need to do it again because the light, you got a big shadow across your face. And it's like, oh, come on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. We are also in like a 650 square foot apartment in Vancouver, BC. How do you manage? Do you have tricks? Do you have ways? Mm -hmm. I always like in the Zoom world, but in real life, when I've been in your house, I'm always like, this is so nice. It's so nice and minimal and wonderful. What's your secret, Lisa? I don't have any secrets. 
it's like an ongoing process of how to live in a small space. You know, and before there were any kind of restrictions, I think what we rely on living in the city is the fact that our city is, you know, a part of our everyday living experience, whether it's a public indoor space or going to parks and going for walks and all of those things. That's a really big part of how this works, living in a small box. Um, but since those haven't been options, thankfully, we've always been allowed to go for walks and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think how I try to make it work is getting rid of stuff all the time. And I still have way too much stuff in my house, I find. I love getting rid of stuff and figuring out, you know, where it can go, who can use it or who I can pass it on to. And trying to be somewhat selective about what comes in in the first place. It's really hard with kids. It's so hard. They're like junk magnets. Loa loves stuffed animals. Mm. They're like, you know, her currency like of love and everything. So being particular about what comes in. But I don't know. I think there's like a way of living small that actually costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of your time. Do you know what I mean? I do. Like the perfect minimal thing. and Totally do. It's very expensive. Having like the exact right closets and the exact right furniture. Yeah. The $7,000 Murphy bed. Totally. Like that would be great if I had all that stuff, but we don't. So it's kind of like actually making it work because, you know, because we don't have another choice unless we... We sort of leave this neighborhood or whatever. So this isn't an answer about the physically how it works or logistically, but I have to like really practice just like accepting when I look around and I see clutter or messes or a way that I want to reorganize and I just can't because I don't have the capacity, like time or money or whatever else. I just have to like remind myself how fortunate I really am compared to, you know, so many other people that we do have a space and it's safe and we can all sleep in it. We can all, you know, eat in it. We can be together. And it's like a good sort of ongoing practice of questioning what do we really need to be happy and healthy? And we have everything we need to be healthy. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like the core of minimalism is what do we need? What do we really need? And that constantly Mm -hmm. evaluating and accepting I definitely am constantly having like heart palpitations about the Lego everywhere and the elaborate Playmobil murder mystery setups that are happening in our apartment Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just being like, this is so temporary. This is so temporary. There will be a day when I I get totally verklempt because there are not Playmobil setups all over the apartment. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important... um distinguishing minimalism as like being in a state of mind where you can accept that rather than aesthetic minimalism, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which has like like such a rigidity. And it costs a lot of money and you need a certain amount of resources to, to focus on making it aesthetically, beautifully minimal. And then there's just like the acceptance of we have everything we need. And Yeah. And it's pretty liberating, I think, mm-hmm. to just be like, this is just fine. <laughs> yeah. Although I am getting a little bit self-conscious because now Loa is starting to ask when we're gonna we need a bigger house and you know when we're gonna acquire these things so jasper has big mansion fantasies (laughs) great and talks about when we have a big mansion (laughs) it's like well when you (laughs) have a big mansion you can uh, invite us to live with you perhaps i don't know Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting, especially when they start talking to their colleagues at school. About, exactly. But so-and-so has their own bedroom. Well, not everybody has the same space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other day, Lois said, 
Josh has been working out of the house a lot. There had been a lot going on. And she said, the reason why dad is away so much is because he needs to earn a lot of money so we can buy a bigger house. (laughs) So in her mind, we're, we're working towards something. Right. (laughs) Ah, yes. Childhood realities. Mm -hmm. What's really going on. So throughout this whole thing, have you found a physical practice that works for you or a creation practice that you can kind of share with us that you've has been sustaining or successful or partly successful? Sure. So one of the things that you already know about now is this walking score that um, I developed, developed, it sounds, it's, you know. They invented walking. She invented walking. It's just this very profound um, elitist sort of, (laughs) it's. Back in March, when all we did was go for walks, well, all we did when we left the house was go for walks, there was no destination to the walk. And that was a little bit of a shift because normally we'd go to a playground or we'd go grab a coffee on the way or we'd be going to and from. And that's a large part of what we do or we'd be visiting friends. So we were kind of going for walks just for the sake of going for walks. And I just started getting a little bit bored of aimless walk. So I just started tracking some of the things that we were focusing on when we were outdoors and how to navigate being in public with kids in a pandemic. And so I kind of just developed this little score of things that I would focus on when we went for our 20, 40 minute walks. I haven't done that consistently, but I always kind of have that if I want to feel like I'm using my brain in a certain way. It's more a sort of focus rather than just kind of like being outside and being like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared of if I walk too close to this person or what if I'm freaking this person out, all those kind of things. So it's just something to sort of be grounded in when we're outside. And I have been using that on and off throughout since March, which has been fun and low has been adding to the score as well. So it's been kind of nice to collaborate with her on that so that we figure out how to be more intentional outside when we want to be. And other times we're just a chaotic group that's trying to get somewhere and go home and everyone's crying and there's no intentionality behind that but that's been something really nice to return to when I need it and then sort of the second thing is previously I was taking these movement classes called the line method with a wonderful woman named Janet Kimmel and I was doing them as prenatal core strength kind of stuff and I didn't do it I was intending to go back into the studio and start working with her postpartum to try to you know start to feel better and then of course, the pandemic hit. So how many times have I said that already? In this, in this, um, we'll track it. We'll track it. Yeah. We'll get marked to count. Pivot and pandemic. We'll see how many times we say those things. Pivot and pandemic. Yes. <laughs> so that kind of wasn't possible anymore. And living with the two kids in the small space, school was canceled. It just wasn't a possibility. And then when school started up again in September, I out of the house every morning and Noemi was napping. And so I decided that I would try the online offering that that Janet had. And honestly, it has made such a difference to my mental health. Like I I kind of forgot that I like movement and that it actually helps me exist and be a better person and helps to settle anxiety and like all of these wonderful things. Just having a movement practice is actually very key to survival for me. And you kind of forget that, especially in like the early postpartum days, your body is more of something for your children that they climb on, that they sleep on, that they eat from, all of these things. And that's a really special time too, but eventually it feels really good to return to my body as my body that does things independently of any children. So returning to that changed so much for me. So I've been trying, like she offers the classes three times a week, three mornings a week, or probably more than that, but I try to do it a couple of times a week in my living room and 
it's quiet, no one needs to sleep, blow is at school. And it's actually really great because it takes less time than traveling to the studio as well and figuring out childcare. It just kind of has worked perfectly. And it's been really, really instrumental in helping me feel better and more like myself again. Oh, yes. I feel like there's something that I've gained from that very thing that you just said. At first, I was so resistant mm-hmm. to trying online classes, but then realizing, oh, I can take like this hour. I don't have to commute. I don't have to get childcare. Jasper and I have been doing sword fighting from Academy Duello Mm -hmm. online. And it's just like fantastic. And we can just like be in our living room with our wooden spoons, Mm -hmm. you know, swashbuckling as they say. I kind of feel like, oh, I want to keep these things, Mm -hmm. you know, these possibilities. Exactly. Some of it works really well. And, and there's something surprisingly nice about being alone working on things. I don't know. It's maybe I'm just old, (laughs) but it feels focused. I was saying to Josh about the classes in particular, like I really like this movement practice. Obviously it's a lot about core strength and aligning your body in the correct way. But what I really like about it is it's so purpose-built and it's not about aesthetics. And after so many years of taking all of these different forms. Like some of the exercises could look like something you might do in a ballet class, but they're built for a certain function. And having taken these classes with her, I really have appreciated like what they're for and what my body needs out of them. And so it's really nice to sort of work independently and without, you know, like a mirror or other people, because inevitably these old ideas of training and taking class will creep in, but being just by myself in my living room and knowing what I need to work on and knowing what is helping my body versus hindering, it's like very liberating to sort of work on your own in a, in a conscious way with all of those, you know, years of different training that can still, you know, you can still access that information or you can shut it out if you want it to. Yeah. hundred percent. It's yeah. It, I find it easier to be authentically embodied and not have my attention in the mirror or in ideas about, well, does this look right? It's my, did I wear the wrong sweatpants? Did, oh no, mm-hmm. you know, whatever kind of silliness. Yeah, exactly. Well, not silly. you know, the stuff we inherit in our talky, talky, speaky, speaky, critical brains. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Last question. I could keep asking you questions. We'll have to do this again. Is there something you hope for in your practice as an artist or your practice just as a person and or for our community as we go forward and all the changes and disruption and pivoting? I said it again, um, you know, as we hopefully head towards, you know, being able to come out of this, this phase, do you hope for something or see some possibilities that are, that are already happening? That's a tough question. I know it's kind of a biggie, but you, you can answer it, you know, minutia or any way that, that you like or not. You don't have to answer it either. Mm, I'm just trying to think of, I feel like what I've maybe learned or discovered through this time is the value of connection. And for me, community is really important and collaboration and exchange and valuing, you know, other people, you know, for our differences and what we offer one another I think what has been really moving is even though the online format is clunky and tricky and it's not a replacement, it's nice to feel trusted connection in the sense that it's nice to to know or to learn when people are working 
collectively separately, if that makes sense. So like taking sort of opportunities to figure out how to align ourselves, even though we're not necessarily in the same room. It's been nice to kind of get to know or to meet people and establish new relationships with other artists in the community online. That's been really exciting. It's still been possible. And in a way, maybe made possible in a different sense because we have this, you know, like when we try to come together to do something like this, we really have to focus on one another and like imagine, like imagine Tara's right here, like, you know, really figure out how to send our energy direct our energy to each other so that we can feel each other's presence. I feel like that's something that's just kind of been developing over this time, really taking care in being with each other in this new way. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it, I think it totally makes sense. Yeah. So I've, yeah, I've had a couple of opportunities over the last few months to like meet or get to know better people through these types of exchanges. And it's difficult, but it feels really nice to have the ability to figure out how we can connect and how to how to think about one another and support one another in this way. So I hope that I, mean, I say this like being of the generation or of the age or whatever that I've never done online dating, for example. Josh and I have been together for you know a super long time. So I never online dating, getting to know people that way first has never been something I've had the opportunity to do. And so I've kind of been doing this like online relationship making now sort of for the first time with other artists. And it's really, I don't know, it works in a way. And you feel like a closeness that I maybe wouldn't have felt if I was just meeting people to do these types of things um, in person. I feel like it would be different. So there's something to this that, that works in a different way that's also meaningful. Absolutely. Because we're often on a call in our homes. So there's an, an imperative and this limited time and technology of this intimacy and taking care of, of listening. I think I interrupt a lot less now because <laughs> you can't interrupt on Zoom because there's like nobody hears anything. Um, you know, these practices that I will hopefully carry these forward. Mm-hmm. As a parent too, I mean, there's an advantage. You can you know, you're in nap time right now and you're able to do this with me, which I so appreciate. And it would have been a lot more gymnastic to try and like mm-hmm. get a babysitter and come to my house and yada, yada. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and same with like the sort of live stream performances. I've seen way more actually than I would have been otherwise at the stage that Noemi's at. So that's been really nice. And then, yeah, the one other thing that I think about is I think it's really important to be able to support one another and to ask people what they need. And that's always been something that Josh and I have tried to do with our company and what we can offer. But it feels more, it feels like more important that we just figure out how we can support other artists. And if, you know, maybe it's because if we're idling, we're like, we're not really sure what we're going to do. We don't have this tour anymore. We're not just going to make something for the sake of it. So like, how can we support people? And because somebody wants to do something, even if we're stumped at the moment or are feeling paralyzed by certain restrictions. So I kind of like, I would love for our organization to be able to keep supporting other artists. And I hope that with this, with everything that that's happened in the pandemic, like it's made us think about our long-term goal for the company, which is to actually be more of a center for collaboration that invites in artists to do their thing and to be in conversation with one another. And we kind of got to test that idea in a tiny, tiny way at Progress Lab. We had 
a few artists come in and they made they had little micro processes um, sort of simultaneously and they were then shared for an audience of one and that felt really good and exciting because it's something that we were sort of forwarding that part of the growth of the company hopefully it'll get there but it feels like it feels really good to do that and I hope that somehow magically we can you know maintain enough resources so that we can keep doing that and I hope that we can convince funders <laughs> let us use funds in that way, even when we're not in crisis mode. Yeah, it's so um, important and gratifying. And it's that unification too of the community that is so wonderful. Do you want to talk about, or maybe you can't, about the science fair idea oh. at Progress Lab? Are you allowed to talk about that? I just, when you were talking about it, I was like, oh, that thing. I think I'm allowed to talk about it. Well, I'll talk about it. You can always tell me and we can remove it. Exactly. So we had made plans to do something called the sharing series and we were going to bring in some different artists in the community so that they could make work in a short time, like two weeks, sort of alongside one another. So splitting up the days in the studio and then being in conversation with one another about what they were making, how they were making, what they needed, how they could support one another. And then at the end of that two weeks to essentially put on a show and say, this is my premiere of my piece. If it's two minutes, if it's 20, it doesn't matter. Just reframing and valuing like a process that is two weeks long versus, you know, two years or whatever. Um, And then that got canceled because it was supposed to be April 2020. Um, And so in the fall, we were sort of able to rejig the the proposal to make it more pandemic friendly. And so we had invited some artists in to make some things side by side. And we were talking about scenarios in which we could share them in this new, um, with these new restrictions. And one of the ideas that came up, I think it was just, just Wilkie's idea was that there was a sort of science fair installation of sorts throughout Progress Lab. So that each of the people that were creating sort of had these little elements or stations, certain materials that they're working with. Um, Because we had Zara working and she had sort of a little, um, not like a set, but some pieces that she was working with. That there could be sort of that, there could be in another corner, a little projection of, maybe some movement that somebody had been working on and then far in the back corner, there could be somebody actually doing some movement and that the audience's relationship to that would be like a science fair. You would sort of walk through the whole building and experience things, you know, kind of like going to a gallery or something like that, but there might be like a a host or something that would walk you through the space so that the performers didn't have to take that hosting role on where they could, you know, point to these different displays or areas and talk about, you know, what the artist was working on or yeah, just kind of like contextualize what they're seeing. So I think that's, that's not ultimately what happened, but I think it's a nice idea for the future and hopefully the program, we can continue it and develop what this might look like, like a, yeah, a bit of a science fair sharing of, of work or what's been worked on. I think it's so exciting. All the different ways we're figuring out how to have audience in a safe way. I feel like that's great innovation and just science fair is, mm-hmm. that sounds, oh, wow, dance science fair. That sounds fun. Well, it makes sense in that we're researching and then we present our material. It's so true. I mean, it really is, you know, you have a hypothesis, you run some tests, <laughs> you like experiment with this. Some explosions. There's some explosions. There's tears. There's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Um, well, thank you so much for taking your precious baby nap time <laughs> to talk to me. I really, really appreciate it. And um, I will link in the show notes all the things that you that you talked about and the artists, the other artists you talked about and your bio and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Lisa, for talking to me and sharing your great wisdom and ideas. If you'd like to get in touch, we are on Instagram, Tara Cheyenne TCP, Facebook, Tara Cheyenne Performance, website, of course, TaraCheyenne.com. And you can email us, info at TaraCheyenne.com. Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne is a production of Tara Cheyenne Performance, edited, produced, original music by Mark Stewart. And you can get in touch with him, markstewartmusic.com. Donations, always welcome. The link is in the show notes, or you can go directly to the website, upper right-hand corner. Keep creating, keep supporting each other, keep walking or moving through space in whatever way you move through space. Be well. This podcast is effing good. Mm Mm-hmm.